Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Women in Compliance podcast where Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley feature outstanding women in the field of compliance and provide actionable advice for compliance officers to advance in the workplace. I'm Mary Shirley, and today I'm pleased to have our guest, Michelle Shapiro, who's a partner at Orient Fox with us. Welcome, Michelle. Please tell us about yourself. Hi, Mary. First of all, let me say thank you so much for inviting me to join your podcast. I've been a fan for a long while, and it's really exciting Mm -hmm. to be a part of this because I think that what you're doing is really important. Um, When I started out as a young lawyer in the 90s, compliance, as we know it today, didn't really Mm -hmm. exist. Right. Having an effective compliance program, that was the buzz phrase. It was a mitigating factor that the U.S. Sentencing Guidelines said that courts should consider when crafting an appropriate sentence for an organization. That was visionary at the time, but the framework for what that meant was kind of bare bones. And Mm -hmm. we've come a long way since then. Um, You know, obviously the DOJ and the SEC have published a lot of guidance on their expectations. Sarbanes-Oxley has, you know, come along and formalized the area. So along the way, the visibility of compliance and ethics programs has really increased. And many of the women that you and Lisa feature in your podcast should really be receiving their fair share of the credit for getting us to where we are today. So anyway, thank you for having me. Um, I'll actually answer your question now. (laughs) Well, thank you for your (laughs) kind words. Appreciate it. Which is, uh, so I've been a, a white collar criminal defense attorney for over 20 years. And as part of my practice, I represent companies and individuals through all phases of government investigations and criminal proceedings related to high-stakes issues like alleged corruption, insider trading, money laundering, tax evasion, all kinds of fraud, you know, healthcare fraud, securities fraud, um, antitrust violations, cyber crimes. The list kind of goes on and on. I like to say, you know, anything that starts with Title 18 in the U.S. Code is probably something that's of interest to me. Mm-hmm. And then I also help companies conduct internal investigations where there's a suspicion of you know, potential misconduct by corporate officers, employees, or agents. Um, one thing that distinguishes my background from that of a lot of other white-collar defense lawyers is that I have never been a prosecutor. I am a dyed-in-the-wool defense attorney, and Mm. I actually, I wear with a badge of pride the fact that I've never put anyone (laughs) in jail. Um, Mm. A lot of my friends and colleagues are former prosecutors, and I love them, and I love partnering with them. Um, I think we bring different skill sets to the table, and we just sort of see things slightly differently. We have a diversity of our experiences and views. And I I think that that in the end helps serve the client. But at the end of the day, I've just spent my career trying to keep people out of trouble. Um, And so sometimes that means defending them after there's an allegation or a suspicion. But a big part of my problem is helping companies and clients, individual clients, avoid the problem in the first place. 
like embracing compliance. Um, so that's what right. I like to spend my time doing where I can. So have you been private practice the entire time? I have. I've been in private practice the entire time. It's a couple of, couple of different firms, big firms. I was at a small white collar boutique for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined Errant Fox in June of last year. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I joined really is because of its particular expertise in business compliance. Um, mm-hmm. We have multiple partners, partners who have have served or are currently serving as independent compliance monitors for major companies that have settled with various federal, state, and international enforcement agencies. So taking some of that expertise and working with clients to apply it proactively at the front end before there's a problem is, in my opinion, you know, one of the greatest contributions that we can make to our clients. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's very much in parallel with the typical role of the the compliance officer in terms of a lot of the work that we do. It's more that proactive side of things. So that's fantastic. And uh, making a partner in a law firm is one of the great aspirational goals of many law students or young lawyers. How can someone tell if striving to be a partner in a law firm is the right goal for them. And the reason I ask you that is that whilst it may seem um, all sort of shiny and high-powered suits and serious work, um, the reality is we're not all cut out for private practice. Uh, I, I am still not, I believe. Um, so how did you know that it was the right uh, thing for you? Um, and for what would your advice be for others who are trying to make that assessment for themselves? When I was a first-year associate at a law firm in a class of, I don't know, maybe 50 or so other first-year associates, I had a classmate who declared virtually on day one that she was going to make a partner at the firm. She had this very singular vision. She talked about it all the time. Her confidence was laudable, though, frankly, also kind of terrifying at the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. But more than anything, I remember being struck by the clarity of her vision, which I didn't necessarily have. I Mm -hmm. knew I wanted to succeed. And, you know, as a student, defining success was pretty easy. You know, I went to college, I graduated with honors, I I went on to Columbia Law School. Like that was all a path that I guess prior schooling or my parents had made very clear. But as a newly minted lawyer, I really didn't know how to define success for myself. So it really took me more than a few years, as, as well as a few law firms, frankly, for me to realize that, yes, I did in fact want to be a law firm partner. And I got there because I had the great fortune of working with some amazing partners who showed up every day for work, excited to be there. And, you know, they made their job seem really rewarding and showed me how to navigate what can be, you know, a political minefield uh, at times to make being a partner Makes sense for me. So, I mean, I think the best advice that I could give law students and young lawyers is just keep your eyes and your mind open. Your eyes need to be open so that you can look around, right? You have to be able to look up, look down, look left, look right, and ask yourself whether you want to climb that partner ladder, Mm -hmm. um, either at the law firm where you are or wherever you, you know, may land afterwards. 
And you have to keep your mind open to how to define success for you. Mm-hmm. And it might not be the same answer as that of your classmate or office mate, but it's also not necessarily going to be the same answer for yourself when you're, you know, 20 something years old as when you're 30 or 40 something or, or, or later. So I think keeping your mind open and periodically reassessing your goals is, is the right path. It was for me, um, you know, not to be too corny here, but we talk about how compliance assessments are so important to an effective compliance mm-hmm. program, right? Like mm-hmm. every so yeah. often, pause and take note mm-hmm. of what you're doing well, what you're doing not well, mm-hmm. identify gaps and plug them, you know? So I, I just think that the same can really be true of our careers. I don't think any of us should be making the decision once and then just go barreling down a path um, to get there. I think periodically reassessing and making sure it's still the right decision for you, whether it's to become a law firm partner or otherwise, is the best way to achieve your own success. I love that um, analogy. I think it's because I'm a compliance nerd, but I love that you you drew in um, an example from the compliance world. And it's, it's totally right. Um, it's one of my big things, um, the keeping an open mind aspect. Um, for people generally, I find of my age or, or above, uh, most of us didn't select compliance, right? Referring back to what you said earlier, it just wasn't a thing. Um, that existed that you could proactively go out there and decide, hey, this is going to be my area. And so a lot of us, we describe it as, you know, um, a happy um, accident or falling into compliance. And it's turned out to be um, the perfect career and and the perfect choice for many of us, even if it wasn't the choice that 20-year-old me made um, at Mm -hmm. that time. And even beyond, I would say, for those of us who are super happy in compliance, keep an open mind as to what you might want to do next. There are so many people who are thinking about opening up compliance consultancies and going out there on their own rather than being a compliance officer or doing something a little bit different that the compliance skill set has prepared them for. So I'm fully with you on the keeping an open mind thing. And it can seem admirable when someone seems so set and determined and ambitious and has that clarity of where they they think they want to go. But just as importantly is being able to pivot and adapt and also understand that changing of your dreams just because you were emotionally invested before doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. It just means that something better has come to light for you and is a better choice. And, and P.S., the woman in my story, mm-hmm. not a law firm partner. <laughs> 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 and I think I actually expected that when you started telling the story, right? It, it, that I thought that was going to be um, the punchline was that she she didn't actually end up doing what she thought she was going to do because life just changes us and takes us in so many different directions that it's hard to always stay on that straight line when there are so many other either tempting things off to the side or things that push you off track and you feel like they're a negative thing at the time, but they were just leading you Um, to something better suited. Michelle, one of the great things um, that I like about you is that you're heavily involved in the Women's White Collar Defence Association. Um, So I think this would be um, familiar to some of our listeners, but but perhaps not all. Would you please tell us about what the mission is of this association and share how it has helped to advance women in white collar legal and compliance roles? With pleasure. 
Uh, the Women's White Collar Defense Association, or the WWCDA, is really one of the great joys of my legal career, putting aside counseling clients. Mm-hmm. I love being involved actively mm-hmm. in this organization. I am the global co-chair of the development committee, and I've watched it grow into just really an amazing organization. Our esteemed co-founder, Karen Pop, often describes us as a 20-year-old startup. And that's because it was about 20 years ago that a group of women gathered at an industry conference, a white-collar conference, Mm -hmm. and noted just the absolute glaring lack of women who were there. And they saw, you know, only men on the panels at the conference. They saw very few female faces in the audience. And they also saw how a large group of men would convene a day before this conference started every year to play golf. And how those men, Mm. very successful men, were excellent at referring work to one another. So Mm -hmm. that's one aspect of the white collar, you know, business development arena that's somewhat unique from other practice areas because we don't strictly look to clients for work. We look to other defense lawyers for referrals, you know, whether it's because there's a big joint defense team being assembled or because one lawyer has a conflict. But, you know, we refer work to one another all the time. Anyway, going back to these women who didn't have any interest in playing golf, they vowed to create their own outlet for professional networking. And so Spa Day was born. So rather than golf, this group of women decided that they would meet up the day before the conference to Mm -hmm. enjoy each other's company at a nearby spa. And it wasn't just about having fun. It was also about really Mm -hmm. getting to know each other so that when opportunities came to refer work, they would think of these other women. And spa day grew and grew and grew to the point where the facilities couldn't even accommodate the group anymore. (laughs) Um, And at the same time, Women, white-collar lawyers across the United States were forming groups to network locally. So D.C. had an arm or a chapter, mm-hmm. and New York had a chapter, and Boston had a chapter. And, and since then, the organization has really exploded. I mean, thanks to Karen's vision, we now have, I think at last count, it was 39 chapters around the world, not just mm-hmm. the United States. Yep. With yep. more on the cusp of, of being launched. Um, we have over 1,700 members. It's like legit. It's the real deal. We are, we're, inco- mm-hmm. we're incorporated. We have a formal governance structure. And we have a clear mission statement and goals, which, if you wouldn't mind, I would love to tell you about. Yeah, please. Um, because they're important. So first, the first goal is to promote diversity in the legal profession, and specifically in our field of criminal, civil, regulatory, and administrative enforcement, um, as well as internal investigations, compliance, and ethics. So that's what our members do. But it's all on the um, on the law firm or consulting side of the equation. No, no, no in-house lawyers allowed. Sorry. Um, we also provide networking and business development opportunities for our members. Um, in their local markets, as well as nationally and internationally. Uh, Our third goal is to develop educational programming that's focused on those same legal fields that I mentioned before. Fourth, we are facilitating collaboration and communication among our members and participants. 
And finally, we develop resources to assist our members and participants. So those are the stated goals. Um, and the organization just works every day around the world to achieve them. Um, and just going back to Spa Day, it has now evolved into what is our formal annual meeting. We have hundreds of women that gather together to engage in learning and networking. We have panel programs and guest speakers. Um, we've had business development coaching set sessions. It's really an impressive agenda. Um, it's still the day before the big conference while the men are off golfing. And there's other programming throughout the year. You know, the, each of the chapters might do their own local programming and then the WWCDA as sort of, you know, the mothership does programming. One thing that I'm really excited about that's coming up is our first uh, inaugural awards dinner, which we are hosting in December. It's December 3rd in National Harbor outside of Washington, D.C. Former Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates, who is now a WWCDA member, is going to serve as our Master of Ceremonies. And we're um, going to distribute four awards to honor those whose efforts have enhanced the white-collar practice, making it more diverse and equitable, those who have otherwise, you know, used their platforms to support women in this field. So the, the award recipients were, were just announced. Um, it's pretty exciting. We're going to honor Mary Jo White as our first WWCDA champion. She's, of course, a true trailblazer, excuse me. There's a group award, which is going to the Olympus Corporation of the Americas. They recently completed a compliance monitorship. Legal and compliance teams led by women have really set the standard for how a company should handle a monitorship. Another award recipient is Joan McPhee. She is a practitioner who is receiving the Lori A. Miller Leadership Award for the Advancement of Women in White Collar Defense. That award is in honor of Lori Miller, who passed away. She's a former WWCDA member, not just a member, really. She was a, a, one of the founding uh, original members of the DC chapter and really just an absolute groundbreaker, both in terms of her practice uh, and advancing other women in the practice. She actually touched my practice and development as a young lawyer as well. When I was a young associate, I wanted to get involved in the White Collar Crime Subcommittee of the ABA's litigation section. And at the time, Lori was the chair. And when I expressed an interest in getting more involved, she said, great, you can be our new website editor, which I had no idea what that meant. Thank goodness wow. <laughs> that the ABA was really supporting the technical aspects because to this day, I really couldn't tell you how to be mm -hmm. a webmaster, mm -hmm. but I was responsible for coordinating content. And that meant I got to network with some of you know the best and brightest white collar lawyers around the country. So anyway, Lori helped make that happen for me and, and Joan getting the award in her name is really well, well-deserved. Um, there's one more award I just need to mention, which is in honor of the late Kathy O'Neill, uh, another WCDA member who left us far too soon. She was one of the founding members of the Atlanta chapter. She will always be remembered, among other things, for her leadership in and dedication to mentoring young lawyers. And so this year, an associate from Atlanta will receive the Kathy O'Neill Award 
which comes with a continuing education stipend that was fully funded by Cassie's law firm partners as a way to help make sure her legacy continues. Yeah, it's really special. And it's our it's our first, you know, it's our first year doing it. There's more information on the website. So if I wouldn't mind just a quick plug, our website Mm -hmm. is wwcda.org and there's a page on there all about the awards dinner. Um, how to get tickets, if anyone's interested in sponsoring the event. It's really going to be a nice night. Um, so check it out. Awesome. And something um, that you mentioned uh, struck a chord for me, which is, you know, when you were doing your, your job um, as, as part of this association, it enabled you to meet a lot of people. And interestingly, I've found that, and maybe it's because I'm an introvert, um, when uh, Lisa Fine and I have been networking or sorry, not networking, when we've been doing our sort of side gig job of this podcast, um, I found it a lot easier to network with people, you know, um, having conversations with people such as yourself um, to to plan and and getting our guests on board, um, people writing into us with questions or giving feedback. Um, Then I feel it is in a sort of a more um, carte blanche environment of... um, of, of networking where you maybe are at a mixer, which is specifically set up. And so I guess what I would say is a tip for networking is that working on a project like this, and it doesn't need to be as formal um, as, as this association that, that you contribute a lot to, it can be far more informal. And I'd like to talk a minute about how in-house um, lawyers and compliance professionals can replicate something similar um, it, it, it seems to me to be a really nice, um, I, I think seg- segue is probably not the right word, but almost opportunity. If you're um, having to talk to people as part of another little project that you're focused and concentrating on, it makes networking so much easier. Did you find that too? It's always easier to connect with someone when you can find something that you have in common. Mm -hmm. And so whether that's a shared experience or a shared goal, because you're both trying to pull a project Mm -hmm. together, I, I, first of all, have to say, kind of fascinated by the fact that you always uh, define yourself as an introvert. (laughs) I've I've heard you say it before, Mary, and Mm. it still stuns me because Mm. you have such a presence. Um, So well done at overcoming that, I suppose. Um, Surprising. But um, having, you know, really a, a clear vision of what you're connecting with someone about, I think definitely makes it easier. I personally hate the sort of the schmooze fest and having to mm-hmm. stand, walk around a room and kind of introduce yourself to a group of random, you know, three or four people having a conversation and, and find a way to right. connect that way. But, but like a project, like, okay, let's, let's, draft an article together or a little uh, blurb for the website or Mm -hmm. figure out, you know, in the case of the WWCDA, I think part of why we've been really successful in having our members participate in a lot of the development committee initiatives is that it gives you an organic reason to get to know these women instead of just saying like, okay, now we're all, yeah, now we're all part of this big happy family. No, okay, Mm -hmm. let's roll up our sleeves and figure out how we're going to tackle this task, whatever it is. So we've got a team that is trying to develop a thought leadership study that we want to send out to the masses and then crunch the data and see, you know, see what comes out and, and really put the association at the forefront of a thought leadership piece. So there are this group of five or six women have really gotten to know each other. 
in the course of that work mm. as opposed to just having to share a glass of wine at a conference. Right. Not that there's anything wrong with nope. sharing a glass of wine. <laughs> Absolutely. And so um, it sounds like it is, a, it, in some ways, of course, the, the aim is to embrace diversity uh, and, and promote the advancement of women. However, in a certain sense, it is also quite a niche group. Um, when we consider that um, in-house lawyers and compliance professionals generally wouldn't be eligible to join. So if um, someone was interested in cultivating perhaps a more informal um, setup, what would your advice be for replicating something similar for those who, who wouldn't be able to attend this association? So first I would just say that while our membership is limited, we do have events that we very much Mm -hmm. welcome in-house lawyers and compliance Mm -hmm. professionals to participate in. One of the things we're currently working on is um, enhancing our website to include more information about the events that we have around the world so that people can see what's going on and and join us. But um, in terms of, uh, gosh, you know, I've never been in-house do you yeah. have suggestions? Yeah, absolutely. And so I would probably model it off one of the um, the sort of for, for all genders, just cl- compliance groups generally. And I want to give a massive shout out to the compliance community of um, the little town, uh, well, not town, the little country, um, state city of Singapore. Um, they have a massive um, group. It's put together by a gentleman called Bala. And um, that group, takes turns hosting um, compliance events at each other's offices. Um, one of the most memorable, um, I'm going to say it's because um, it was my last one before I moved to, to the US, but it was Heineken. Um, and they put on, you know, drinks, obviously, in their office. And then we sat down for a sort of a formal presentation. A law firm, I think, was brought in for that one and, and did a wee panel. Um, and then there was um, mixing and mingling afterwards. Um, so that's a, a more formal um, setup where they they are quite organized and um, take a great deal of pride in hosting other compliance professionals from uh, the city and and think about different things that they can share. So there's usually a little bit of substantive thought leadership as well as opportunities to mingle in a, a, a more casual way over um, drinks and snacks. So there's nothing really stopping anyone from doing that kind of thing and, and making it an advancement um, for women group. And of course, gentlemen, I, I assume would be very welcome um, in, in promoting the, the cause of such a thing. Um, although thinking about the, the setup for your association, it was more the idea that women get the opportunity to um, specifically mingle with each other and, and help with referrals and so on. So up, up to the organisers as to how they would structure the, the membership. And then on the other end of the scale, I'm thinking of um, what Matt Kelly and I um, do for drinks in Boston and, and you're new um, to, the, to the Boston area. Um, so it may be that um, this could be a, a helpful um, uh, opportunity for you. So Matt and I, every now and again, we decide we haven't done drinks for a while. That's how casual it is. We don't have a set timeline or anything. And we we um, send invitations out, um, put notes up on LinkedIn and invite people from the, the greater compliance community um, to, to join us, um, meet people, um, establish connections and get to know each other better. 
So I know that there are various different groups. I think the, the DC one um, exists. That's more like the Singapore one in terms of being a, a bit more organized and not just Matt and I flicking each other a text um, randomly to, to set it up <laughs> on a whim. Um, but the thing is, you know, anything anything can turn into something useful. So whatever suits you. So if you're in-house um, and you, you're interested, um, have a look at um, the Women's White Collar Defence Association website for the events um, that are open to everyone or contact Michelle about those. Um, and if you're feeling particularly ballsy, um, set up your own. It's, you know, for, for Matt and I, it's as simple as... Um, logging on to a complimentary Evite um, website. Matt usually creates the um, invitation, so he does a lot of the heavy lifting. But again, you know, if that's all the heavy lifting, it's not that bad. Um, and then we we both promote it together. So similar things can be done in any city that you're in and even remotely. So I'm just thinking about like Caitlin Toby's um, remote workshops that she does for um, compliance certification. You could replicate that. Um, as a networking opportunity as well. It might take a little bit more thought um, to consider what is the secret ingredient that will draw people um, and keep them engaged in a website-type environment, but I'm sure there's a lot more creative people out there than me um, who would be thinking on such a thing. So those are my thoughts. I haven't given it too much thought, um, as you can probably tell, um, but I am for sure, um, gung-ho about the idea that anyone can can set up something and plant the seed and watch it turn into a flourishing plant as has been done with your association. And for anyone who is eligible and interested to join, um, how would they go about that? First stop would be www.cda.org. You can look up the chapter in your city and you'll see the information for the chapter leaders. Um, you can their email addresses and phone numbers are there. So reach out to them to find out how to join. If your city is not listed and you think that a WWCDA chapter could thrive in your neck of the woods, um, I would say reach out to me or to Karen Pop uh, to talk about how you might get that started. Um, our contact information is on the website. One of the other things we do to try to promote women in the field is there's a find a professional tab oh, where cool. you can look up people by name or by city um, or by specific practice area within the broader umbrella of white collar defense. Thank you. Well, that's all the time that we have today for this two-part series with Michelle. Um, I will leave you all for the day and invite you to check back again soon for our uh, second part of um, these episodes uh, coming out shortly. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.